0: Wand Smoke, Broken, King of the Kobolds. During all my father's upbringing there remained not a single fae to plague our once high home of Yggdrasil, for his father's father and those descendants before them had taken the task unto themselves. Despite the scrailing savages' constant incursions from the south, with swords of iron those heroes rooted out every last one of that murderous, thieving, child-snatching race. Because of this, I must forgive my sire his failure to purge Sealand of fairies during the course of his conquest. But now that the crown passeth down from King Godric to myself, his eldest son, Ogier the mage, I shall carry the banner once carried by my ancestors. I will see every fairy on this island bound in chains the same as they hath bound the natives. And only then, when that cursed race knoweth the pain it createth by its very nature, shall I slay every last one from the meditations of King Ogier, as preserved in the Union Archives. The old king is right about the Fay and humankind. At least that's what we find after four days off-road exposed to the cold, at times hiking through woods or skirting remote settlements, always sleeping in shifts, ever vigilant for Glassboro mercenaries, marigold champions and shield maidens, Hobbs, Fay, and wild animals. It was an awfully long haul for an awfully poor reward, the return of Dr. Alan Edgar to South. No one is happy about it, even if it does mean that he'll face justice for all the people he killed. Justice won't resurrect Len or the others who got poisoned though, nor will it bring back Kevin who died of an infection a month after his amputation. And then there's Roslyn, Broken's only friend and whole motivation for this manhunt to begin with. Given the state of the city, the girls' parents are probably hob-food or half-hobs themselves. They certainly weren't at that run-down farmhouse we passed on the way out. The thing looked long since abandoned, even before we poked around, and inside was somehow more desolate. Four walls, a floor, and a roof were all that remained, no sign of a struggle. That's more than we can say coming home to South. We returned to the township under siege by roving gangs of fairies, It's O.G.A. who first takes notice of the folk talismans hanging over the canvas tent flaps of the town's newest arrivals, horseshoes or the heads of worn-out pickaxes or spades or any other tools made of rust and iron. Others leave offerings of salt, bread, and saucers of cream, all practices he'd seen in centuries past when the villages of Sealand were made to pay tribute to local fairies. And just the same as then, those homes that are unwarded have suffered terribly the fickle tyranny of the fay. Several immigrant tents have been torn to shreds or else pillaged and burned. The cinders piled into heaps and littered with little footprints, yet there's not a soul in the street. It's eerie. Even at midday there's only the howl of wind and the crackle of tree branches. So this is the great boom of South I've heard so much about, scoffs Dr. Edgar, looking around as much as his bindings will allow. "'I must say I'm not impressed, deputy. "'It seems to me you've been derelict in your duties.' "'The constable stares, unfazed by the comment. "'Or if it did bother him, it sure isn't showing. "'Something has changed inside Grant since the start of the manhunt. "'I think it was always there, "'but the gash in his shoulder let it out to the surface, "'a harshness hammered harder by our experiences "'with the church and the foreigners and the mercs at the Crystal Palace.' What few smiles he possessed have been bled out of him, like his soul has become stone. He shoves the doctor forward and lets the bound, crippled man fall flat on his face. Attention, citizens and immigrant applicants of Township South. He pauses, waits for those in earshot to answer his summons, but not one person is willing to come out. Where is everyone? asks Broken. Verva answers, they're hiding. It's just like a quarantine in Marigold. No, rasps Gnostius, this isn't hob work. Goblins hate the light so much they put fires out. They wouldn't have burned these tents. Looks like a slave riot to me, says Edgar, rolling onto his back and grinning with ruddy teeth. He licks his split lip. Funny, I thought Gaston said you'd banned gremlins shortly after I skipped town. Did you go back on your word? The irony would be too much. You travel halfway across the country to catch me for the evils of keeping the little devils under control, and they burn down your town the few days you're out, and now Glassboro is going to burn as well, and you say I'm the criminal. The doctor beams at Grant over the whole of his spiel till the constable unholsters his wheel wand. At the click of the hammer, Edgar winces, then startles at the blast as Grant fires into the air. He announces again, Attention! This is your constable and marshal making mandatory summons of all persons within proximity. He shoots the ground like a judge pounds a gavel. Show yourselves or be branded an enemy of the public. This time, the tops of heads pop out from behind closed door flaps. Grant chooses one, a woman with smooth brunette hair hanging loose outside her two-man tent. He levels his death wand and commands her, Now! She scurries onto the snow in a ragged dress, that by its sheen seems to be silk, cynic or Glassboro fashion by the pattern, woven with images of blossomed violet trees on a sanguine backdrop, slashed like Broken's black leather cloak, bearing the woman's neck and waist and shoulders, pale, unwashed skin peeking through the woven tree canopy, and she's not alone, trailing her dress tail as a miniature version of herself only clothed in simple linens and wools. Broken? the little tag-along gasps. Rosalind, my seer squeals. "'Never have I seen her this excited before. Not even when we went shopping in Marigold.' She races to meet her friend, fearless of the wand pointed her direction, and without a second's hesitation jumps into a hug. Tough kid. I think of the constant pain Broken is in, and how she hardly seems to notice it anymore. And brave, but that doesn't mean I'm comfortable with the constable aiming his death wand at her. I tap Grant on the shoulder and he holsters his weapon, broken free from the shock of encountering the unexpected. We spend the next several minutes asking questions, first to Rosalind's mother, Juliet, then to the other new citizens as they finally start sifting onto the road. Mostly I listen to Broken's conversation and fill in the gaps she left about her excursion to Glassboro. And there's new details, too. From what I overhear, Roslyn's father was one of the first royals to turn, and that was around the same time the zealots moved in. The city became too dangerous, and even their farmhouse wasn't safe once the PSOs drove the royal hobs to the outskirts. So one day they up and left everything behind with just a handful of rags, the clothes on their backs, and the cold northward road ahead of them. Even the tiny tent they have now they found abandoned when they arrived. But we couldn't go back the mother says to me directly. The owners would have me killed for breaking contract, and besides that, there's nowhere else to take us. I've heard horror stories about Cynic and someone like me going to Marigold. They'd condemn Ross for what I've done, what I had to do to keep food on the table. There is no need to worry about that here in South, Grant declares as if just minutes before he wasn't pointing his wand at her. Whatever crimes or depravities you may have committed elsewhere are only prosecutable by a claimant residing within that same jurisdiction at the time. You're perfectly welcome to apply you and your daughter for citizenship. Just keep in mind that there might be delays in processing. It seems there are a number of new applicants, and the prosecution of this criminal takes precedence over civil matters. He turns his attention to the crowd in general. Speaking of criminal matters... Can anyone inform us as to the identity of the apparent arsonists in our midst? Murmurs start throughout the crowd, mostly shrugs and pleas of ignorance. Only one of the newcomers actually gives us any clues. I didn't quite see him meself, confesses a West End Glassboro bumpkin, but I heard him come round the first night. It was an awful sound, like a storm howling and the ground shaking, woke me right up in the middle of the night. A few others nod their confirmation. Then another one, a well-dressed trader from Berg, admits he heard them chanting one of the nights they burned the uncharmed tents. Dear friends, it was terrible. From my cart I could see their shadows dance like devils on the canvas. No more shackles, they said, and praised the true king. Then they carried on and on. No more shackles, no more chains. Kobolds, laments old King Ogier, vocal again ever since I transmuted the Alkahest on my own capricious ingrates. I should have slaughtered them all when I had the chance. Servile backstabbers, every last one. I hate to say it, but I have to agree. The only kobold I've seen tricked both myself and Broken, her into resurrecting King Ogier's body and me into touching the eye of Amgene. Had I been anyone else, the visions would have driven me mad. That's what everyone who knows about this stuff thinks anyway. To be honest, I'm more curious about the old king's disappeared corpse. I've tried asking Ogier himself, but as glib as he is about everything else, on that matter he stays silent. A mystery for another time, perhaps. Just now I've got more pressing concerns. I questioned the traitor about what the arsonist meant by praise the true king, but he doesn't know any more than he's told us. His ignorance comes as a momentary relief, as a failure to confirm my lurking suspicion that what's happening to South is really because of me. Ha! What arrogance! These disasters of man are inevitable manifestations of his own inadequacy. Your part, like the decisions of most mankind, is utterly replaceable. That is, unless you prove strong enough to take the reins of power. I ignore the king and defer to Grant instead. What's our next move, constable? The same as before. We put Dr. Edgar under lock and key. Once our hunt is completed, and after I've drafted and submitted all the necessary documentation the constabulary can start an official investigation into these crimes. He speaks to himself and the crowd as much as he's answering my questions, more so as he reaches the tail of his speech. Worry not, citizens and newcomers alike. Do not let these miscreants sow doubt into your mind that South is a town ruled by true law and order. Whoever these villains are, they have committed high crimes under the old king's law. Arson, intimidation disturbing the peace, and treason. And if I discover that assault and murder are to be added to their charges, I, with a majority vote by the council, will declare martial law and execute these rebels on sight. Grant fires his wheel wand into the air, and the crowd cheers the return of their elected protector. They clear a path and shower us with praise as if we've already purged whatever's plaguing the town. They treat us like heroes, but it doesn't feel anything I'd ever imagine it would. It's heavy, more pressing even than the hundred pounds of steel slung from my shoulder. The expectation that we'll succeed, the assumption that we can. We carry the burden of responsibility into the town proper, where we find much the same range of conditions. Most of the houses are warded with nails, horseshoes, and cooking pans. And of those, most look to be intact. Though a few do bear damages— Broken windows now boarded up and graffiti skulls painted on the house fronts. Likely the owners didn't put stock in tradition till after the attacks. Well, they all do now. Those few buildings left completely unprotected are nothing but heaps of debris and ash. And bones. The first burned house we pass had people locked inside, their charred, blackened, shriveled remains like meat left over long on a spit are piled where they would have been pounding at the door when asphyxiation took them. And just like the tents, little footprints litter the mound where the murderers danced and chanted, celebrating their king. We pass two more heaps of identical destruction before we make it to the market, the heart of Township South. Fortunately, the merchants and businessmen were quick to defend their property. Nails have been pounded into each stall and cart, and a ring of crushed salt circles the central cluster of commerce. A magic circle of protection, Verva lets us know that the mystics are responsible for that particular ward. Bigger businesses, like the King's Lodge and the Guild Halls, have gone to greater, more traditional lengths. They've hung curtains of chain over doors and windows, and I can see the edges of grates placed over chimney tops. The golden anvil must be making a fortune if only the constabulary was so lucky. All around the jailhouse, the new construction has been demolished and burned. Partisans stand like spikes jutting from the frozen ground, a deputy mounted on each and every one, eighteen in total, their bodies bloated and overflowing with bloody foam and fluids. I feel ready to retch just at the sight of them. Then the putrefaction hits, and I have to cover my mouth and swallow hard to keep what's inside from spilling out. The doctor makes no such effort. He sniffs the decay, snorts, and spits before he says, "'Looks like my trial is going to be delayed, deputy. "'You've got quite the disaster on your hands. "'Even the worst riots in Glassboro were never this gruesome. "'You're wrong,' Grant responds, staring stone-faced "'where the jailhouse door has been torn off its hinges "'and left to rust in the snow. "'There are no gremlins in South. "'These are either Hob or fairy insurgents. "'Either way, we are going to put them down. "'And how?' Might a humble doctor ask, are you going to do that? Edgar grins big with his bloody lip till the constable kicks his leg from under him. The doctor crashes onto his back and loses his wind, coughs and hacks till his wheezing turns to chuckles. Grant draws his death wand, cocks it, and says, precisely the same way I'm going to put you down. Without averting his eyes, he commands Nostius and myself, you two, go check the guild hall and Gaston's mining office. These are official summons for Domnall and Gus calling for an emergency council meeting to vote on the motion to institute martial law. Speaking once again to the doctor, he finishes, A unanimous decision will imbue me, the constable, with the legal authority to declare enemies of the public and with the legal power to dispense with such threats by any means I believe are justified. Grant places a boot on Edgar's chest and lines his sights between the downed man's eyes. And the only justice for a man like you is a firing squad execution. Conti, Nostius, what are you standing there for? Move! The apothecary scans the landscape, his wounded arm clutched fast against his body. With just one quarrel left to his crossbow, as impossible to operate as the weapon is with his injuries, Nostius would be helpless if attacked, and it shows. Nervously, he double and triple takes the surroundings, then starts off for the guild hall once he's sure the road is clear. I don't blame him for being scared. None of us are any less vulnerable than he is, which is why I arrange with Verva to hide Broken, to the girl's protest, inside the Mystic's guild hall. The place is charmed with circles of salt and grates and chains and a million other nonsense things, I'm sure, but it's the safest place for her aside for the vault. "'assuming no fay have infested there as well. "'So you're the constable's dog now?' asks Edgar bitterly. "'I wouldn't have guessed my little troglodyte would ever stoop so low "'as to become a footstool for his own tyrant. "'Let me give you some advice from an old friend. "'You look like you need it. "'Serve yourself and get out of town. "'Gus won't vote for martial law "'so long as Gaston Mining is lining his pockets, "'and Deputy Junior here won't be able to handle "'whatever massacred twenty trained men.' We're not friends, I could respond, or I could announce that I am serving myself by helping the town, that I live here, that I belong, and that these laws are as much my own as they are the constables. But I've got more important things to worry about than the doctor's skepticism. I ignore him, unstrap the kingmaker from my shoulder, and set the oppressive death engine at rest on the snow. The mining office is a couple streets over. I expect it'll take me a few minutes at a run to get there and back, probably longer escorting James Edwin Gus. Given the girth of him, I don't imagine that man has ever done a day's labor in his life, nor will he. Just as I'm about to go, something flung from the shadowy threshold of the jailhouse hits the ground an inch before Grant's feet. It rolls, leaving behind a bloody trail in the snow. Thin, dark hair, hairy jowls, pale, flabby cheeks and an expression of terror permanently impressed on the face. It's the head of Councilman Gus, severed from his body, rolling unnaturally, like it's being pushed by little invisible hands. The wind howls, and the ground begins to tremble. This is a message, a warning. They surround us, forming out of thin air, four short, lithe, bearded men dressed in tan linens and pointed caps. The smell of the forest lingers on them, damp wood and manure— and their faces retain a wild aspect. As if holding this human shape is straining their concentration, I can see it most in their eyes. bestial no whites like a deer's or an elk's. Just amber-brown and filled with pupils dilated despite the light. That's right, I recall in the midst of drawing Ogier's sword that fairies of all races have an aversion to the day. The old king chuckles. The constable, however, shares none of his sovereign's humor. His face remains hard his mind busy arranging the information. Little footprints, no witnesses, iron wards of protection, the skewered bodies of deputies, the jailhouse seized, these materializing thugs. I watched the epiphany manifest in the flesh as snarling rage. No further hesitation, no hearing what these fey have to say. Grant aims and fires his wheel wand at each of the surrounding kobolds till he reaches the fourth and the hammer drops with a clink against a spent brass cap. The fairy laughs, as do the three shot and unharmed by the leaden projectiles, whether hid in the body, the heart, or the face. The bullets pass through their false flesh-like wind and kick up dirt in the distance. "'No more shackles,' says the fourth of the fae, holding up his bare wrists, and in one of his hands is a long spike of quietus bone, just like in marigold. I shiver. They all have them, weapons made from man's own mortality. No more chains.' the kobold finishes, then his companions join in. They chant and rave, no more chains, each inching their feet closer. Spittle froths at their lips, and their faces turn a deep scarlet. They're working themselves into a trance, dwelling within the darkest aspects of their souls, and lighting them ablaze with hate and resentment, a defilement of their own natures. Only as a blind, vengeful mob can they muster the will to murder. What weakness, utters Ogier, but I hear it come out of my own mouth as well. Your kind were born to be slaves, but instead you have chosen to become ashes. Incensed by my judgment, the first coward lunges, there is always one who strikes before the others find courage, and like the cur that it is, the kobold comes from behind. But I have the eye, and now the power to wield it. Never again shall an assailant take me unaware, as did that bastard Gerard. I step forward, turn, and cleave into the void where I'd stood just a quarter second before. The mithril edge meets with the kobold's false flesh, makes it manifest, sinks through neck, chest, abdomen, and spills silver-blue blood that smolders black on the snow. The three living kobolds leap back, their morale shattered, but I've only just begun. It's been too long since I've slain fairies with my own hands, and felt the warm rejuvenation of their blood between my fingers. I— No, this is my story, not yours, I declared to King Ogier, a shame that I allowed myself to become possessed. I was scared, and after losing the duel with that elf in Cynic, the temptation toward power was hard to resist. It still is, especially with no one but Grant around. I don't need to worry about being a bad influence on Broken. That's no excuse, I know, and maybe I would have given him control regardless, or else in my weakness I'd have ended up dead. Instead, our attackers cower at their companion's cleaved corpse. They call over and over, their voices carried by the wind. Come quick, come quick, crowned king of the kobolds, breaker of shackles, slayer of men. The iron-blooded devils are at our doorstep. Come quick, come quick, our one true king. Er "'What are you doing, Trog?' "'Ogir scolds me for not smiting the kobolds where they stand, "'but that would mean leaving him in control "'when it's clear to me that these fairies "'are just a bunch of useful idiots. "'They don't seem to have the stomachs "'for the crimes they've committed, "'which means once we deal with their supposed king, "'the rest will likely scatter. "'Of course, that's assuming we can deal with him. "'If I'm right about who it is, we should. "'I should anyway.' It's my fault the crazed kobold got loose, I think, until the fey crawls out from the jailhouse, and the question of should reverts to the question of, am I going to end up some macabre decor? The kobold wasn't a third this tall when we met in the tunnels, nor was he a quarter as muscled, at least he didn't seem to be at the time. If he was, then I was blessed to be blind. The fay is terrifying. Small, brown, bare eyes close-set with hardly any pupil at all, a knotted gray beard grown down to the ground, a circlet of human bones, fingers and toes sewn together with silver wire, his chest exposed and scarred by prods of iron, and below his adornment is modern miners' boots and thick mixed-fiber cotton wool pants. If I didn't know better, I'd think he was human on the verge of transmogrification, but he's not. He's the same madcap fairy who tried to gull me into insanity who tried to trap Broken in the tomb of the old king. I position myself between Edgar and the Fae, and tell Grant not to bother reloading his death wand. This is my responsibility. I'll handle it alone. So, you're the so-called king of the kobolds now, huh? That's quite a title since the last time we met. The hulking kobold crosses the gap in five preternaturally long steps, each reach of each foot like a breeze over shifting earth gliding him forward. Any human I met is dead long ago, he says, his voice high and scratchy as it was before. Even the thief is but bones for gnawing by the gnolls. You mean Maddock? No, we burned that backstabber to ashes. The Fey King halts a double arm's length away, contemplating while his minions clutch at his legs. He shooes them away, looks to me, and demands, Show me thy face! I lower my hood and wince against the daylight, though I try to keep the eye of Amgine open. I want him to know with certainty who I am, and that his trick had failed during our last encounter under the old king's decrepit keep. I want him to see the sword pointed toward his heart, to see Amgene's mad stone piercing his wild eyes so that I become the lord of fear within the depths of his addled fae mind. I say, so it was you who burned those houses and murdered the deputies. I guess I was wrong not to have smashed your head in when I had the chance. I'd finish the job now if my mace weren't broken. Suppose I'll settle with carving you up instead. Thou, the hulking fae wrings his blackened fingers, blistered, probably from tearing the iron bars from the front of the jailhouse. That he actually managed that without disintegrating his hands is as impressive as it is foreboding, and he knows it. Confident, the kobold braves another fairy step posturing so that his bare chest just touches the tip of the sword. It sizzles, but absent are the bright white flames I've come to expect. I've been searching for thee, Conti. He utters my name like it's a threat. For thee and the broken girl who freed me from my prison. Yeah, well, that was an accident. And it's Lord Conti, to you. And the girl is the seer of the black flame. Still with the titles, old trog, scoffs the doctor, amused. Some things just never change. Grant, however, feels quite differently about what I said. He interjects, Wait, so you admit to being an accomplice to this phase invasion? He sets his wand at half-cock, lines up a loaded charge, and presses the muzzle against the nape of my neck. You're all under arrest for murder, Arson, and suspected treason. You idiot. I watched the lesser kobolds become emboldened by the constable's threats so too does the Fay king notice. Grinning, he gazes unflinchingly into the eye, and whispers words of wind into my ears. As thou would have it, Lord Conti, for this is an invitation. Our need for thee, and of the power thee possesses out, measures the tiny scuffle betwixt us. For what thou seest here is only the beginning. The old king is risen, and is rousing awake his slumbering soldiers. Soon enough their bellies will rumble with eternal hunger for fairy blood." Soon enough he shall march on us, and once more will the fair folk war with the humans. Mankind shall always chooseth this, to treateth us as chattel or plague and pests. So we must defend ourselves, reconquer the land man's ancestors agreed to share, and prepare for battle. For that purpose I have sought thee and thy cursed girl. Ye have proven yourselves to me in combat, and proven your race apart from the evils of humanity." How else canst thou survive the madness of Amgene's visions? Not even the old king resisted corruption. Crown caps and being born blind in the first place, I want to say, but I have to be careful. Grant might not be able to hear what the kobold is saying, but he can sure hear me. And after our escapade through the cities, I have a feeling that he won't hesitate to blast the back of my head off if he thinks it's probably justice. Sweat drips like bullets from my nose and chin and on the back of my neck where the mouth of the frigid steel barrel sticks to my skin. I swallow dryly and formulate my answer, more of a question as to why the King of the Kobolds thinks I'd be interested in the first place. He answers, Is not that human's will to wield such machinations against thee sufficient to demonstrate the oppressive essence of mankind? It is in their blood to be thieves, tyrants, and rapers of nature. But their time has come. Now it is for them to become our thralls. After so long, we will have justice. No, what you'll have is revenge. I recognize its bald, pale head, the expression on its face bitter as my reflection on the surface of Black Lake. It is my own personal shame and spirit of destruction, of deception. It is as Lohan said, the lie invites the will to self-ruin. When I think of what could have been had I gotten what I believed I'd wanted, I see the same scene laid out before me, meaningless death and duplicitous misery. I press Ogier's sword forward, and in a flash of white fire, force the kobold a human step back. You are no different than any other creature with consciousness enough to lay claim to a soul. You believe yourself good— but evil is just as much your constituent element as it is for those you hate the most. Refusest thou then, he asks aloud, frowning and cupping the smoldering blister on his chest. Art thou certain, if thou choosest to stand apart from us, thou art choosing to stand on the side of the old king and the humans, then I'll stand on the side of the people I care about, myself included. The Fey king scowls, and for a second I think he's about to reach out and crush my head with his massive blackened fingers. Then suddenly his grimace sours. Like spoiled milk it curdles into something fearful, as do the faces of his wide-eyed goons, legs bowed and lips quivering at the call of voices from the not-so-distance. It's domnal and nastious and something else. I can smell its caustic odor, and though I don't dare divert my eyes, I don't have to to recognize my yipping ghoul. Chaka flies on all fours across my field of vision like a wild, starving, slavering dog. Each loping lunge and plunge of claws cleaves enormous wedges of frozen soil. Each hurls the hob forward as fast as a wheel wand cocks and fires. It's only by the grace of the ghoul's short-sightedness that the bulk of the fey and their king escape by taking the shape of the wind. Chaka is content to let them go, having skewered a kobold like a fairy kebub. I try not to watch, but the screams of the fey being eaten alive, combined with the wet rending of flesh and the gnashing of bones, proves the proper ritual for conjuring nausea. Spirits, if you're listening, in the name of Amjean, I'm begging you, please never charge me with slaying a fey fed ghoul. The old king laughs. Grant thumbs his wand hammer from half to full cock. Last warning, Canty. Put the sword in the scabbard and then your hands behind your back. You're under arrest for acting as an accessory to vandalism, intimidation, larceny, arson, murder, and treason. I sheathe the sword, turn, and stare him in the face. Seriously? It's the law. Once we take back the jailhouse, I can book you and you can appeal for a pardon on a plea of ignorance and coercion. Until then, I need you to put your hands behind your back." "'What in hell is going on?' shouts Nastius. He and his master are just catching up. The constable repeats his commands for the alchemists, and it's Domnall who answers, spitting and furious, looking entirely the disheveled wizard with his greasy chin-strap beard and stained, faded apothecary robes. I didn't drag these old bones out in the cold to detain the troglodyte. What of this damnable vote I was told about?' Grant gestures to the severed head on the ground. I summoned you shortly before discovering that official Gus has been murdered. This changes things. We'll have to have a flash assembly with at least two-thirds of the remaining population to elect a third counselor in order to cast a legitimate vote to enact martial law. So you summoned me for nothing, the old alchemist snaps. Perhaps you haven't noticed, constable, but your town is under attack. While you've been gone on your personal vengeance quest, my business has been decimated. How am I supposed to fund and conduct my experiments when the novices can't sell medicine and I have to spend all my time tending to fey curses? I'll tell you, I can't. He huffs through his nostrils. This isn't what the guild paid for when we bought property in South. We were promised protection from interference, but instead I find you pointing your wand at my favorite trog. Grant's face burns bright pink, and for a moment I think he might immolate the old man in a breath of flame. No, probably not. That'd be illegal, an abuse of authority, and he's already had one of those accusations today. Instead he looks to me, then the jailhouse and his dead deputies, then to the township, barren, lifeless, and under siege. He decocks and holsters, utters through gritted teeth, You're right, I have gone derelict of duty. I've disgraced my father's office and let the town fall into ruin, no different than the cronies in Glassboro. You're right, I don't deserve my position, so let it be known that I, Grant of Township South, hereby resign from the venerable offices of Marshal and Constable. I never thought I'd see the day those words would escape Grant's mouth, so when the tears well and I hear his voice break, the only thing more shocking is my own reaction. I expect to feel pity. It's not like any of this is really his fault, yet he takes it upon himself like it's his responsibility, but all that dredges from the pit of my stomach is a visceral disgust at his revealed weakness. I'm not sure which is worse, listening to him or to chaka eating, that is, until the constable starts weeping and stripping off his coat. Then my repulsion takes over. While his hands are tangled, I snare Grant by the lapels and throw him to the ground adjacent to Edgar. He lands on his ass, nothing else to catch himself with, and the doctor chuckles till I open my mouth and the old king's words leap off my tongue. Silence, Cretan. Your lethargic will to swindling and slavery has fomented enervation over the entire kingdom. You're fortunate the boy wants to kill you because I'd take your other leg and chain you to a workshop bench the rest of your miserable, craven existence. And you... My attention turns to Grant, who stares back. Wet-faced and bedazzled, you're never to utter such pathetic whinging again. Now get up, declare martial law, and conscript a new team of deputies. But the law, we need to have an election. I am the law, and I say to hell with your election. Now get up and bring me the head of every fairy infesting south. The constable's jaw drops in sudden comprehension. You—what Ashland said was true, then. The sword really does belong to— But that means that you're—that I'm actually talking to the—the—the—he stutters, awestruck. So Ogier, drawing his sword and thereby projecting his voice atop my own, finishes for him. We speak as one. I am the king. No one, not even the self-satisfied Ogier, says anything for a long while after that. We pack up, exhausted and awkward, and take refuge inside the Apothecary's Guild. Inside we find the first floor work tables converted into beds, every one of them full with unlucky residents who refused kobolds entry into their unwarded homes. Some of them got off lightly compared to the charred skeletons we saw on our way in town. Others... It's debatable. Imagination cannot stretch far enough to cover what might plague a person once he's been fey cursed. Bad luck is common though no one's ever certain how much the fairies are really to blame for that. What we're sure is they're doing are things like turning tongues to stone or switching hands with feet, replacing all a man's beard with hedgehog spines or a woman's hair with the feathers of geese, and worse, turning someone's skin inside out, or cursing a person to dance ceaselessly without eating or sleeping, until he finally dies in a pool of his own sweat, refuse, and bloody footprints. All of these and more occupy the novices as well as a few mystics who've volunteered themselves. Patients and caretakers alike sigh their relief as we enter the hall. They're happy to see us, mostly to see Grant, Domnall, and Chaka, though I hear my name a couple times among the whispers. I wish that I didn't. It just leaves me feeling guilty. There's nothing I can do to help those injured or cursed, let alone those killed and their family members. It's a weight too heavy to carry on my own. Thank Amgene I've got broken and the others. Speaking of others, we leave Dr. Edgar downstairs for the novices to check for corruption in his amputated leg. They're glad to have someone they're actually trained to treat, just as Grant's relieved to be rid of him, even if just temporarily. It frees us to discuss our battle plans privately in the upstairs laboratory. I've never seen the lab in such a mess. Piles of powdered rust ruddy the work tables and blacken the glass interiors of alembics and retorts. Looking closer, amongst the rust mounds hide chunks of salt, as well as some that's been crushed, and there are darker granules that smell to me to be the crude formula for black flame. And that's just the work tables. No surface has been saved, not from the overflow of tools and chemicals, nor from shed ghoul hair stuck everywhere there's miasmatic residue. On the floor the walls and the ceiling too as you can see i took the liberty of borrowing your hob while you were gone starts domnall as we traverse chemicals and clutter to the slightly less messy center of the room quite the voracious fellow he wandered into town shortly after the kobolds announced their conquest of south i watched it from the windows there the little devil came loping out of the darkness in the middle of their demands and those feather-brained fae must have mistaken him for a man. They descended on him with quietus knives. First time I've ever known fairies to carry them, and the first time I've observed their effects on Hobbes. That is to say, there aren't any. The daggers dissolved on contact, and of course the stupid kobolds panicked while our ghoul friends snagged one by the ankle. Took the whole foot right off, didn't you, you little monster? Chaka yips and settles onto a bed of shed hair where he gnaws on a metal pipe like a dog would a bone. Domnol continues, When I saw how his skin and salivation dissolved fairy flesh, how the hob's body swelled with just a mouthful of fae, and how, even at night under the light of the moon, the kobold was made manifest by contact with my fluid, I thought. You're onto something, Domnol. But then the curse started coming in, and since then— I've hardly had a day to run experiments. Fascinating, I say, more sarcastic than intended. Now, can we talk about how we're going to get rid of these kobolds? I want to check on Broken and Verva sooner rather than later. The wizard huffs. What impatience. My useless apprentice has rubbed off on you, hasn't he? You'll never complete the magnum opus with such a dullard's attitude. Counselor, Grant interjects. You are to speak to the king with more respect. He's not speaking to the king, I tell the constable and warn him not to trust the evil old tyrant. Not that I'll get through to him. Grant is too enamored with the righteous ruler he imagines Oga to be, and any word to the contrary he treats like blasphemy. I don't know what worries me more, what the old king told him or what the constable suggests we do to quell this insurrection. He wants to smoke them out, just like we did with Edgar and Gaston Tower, round them up at midday tomorrow and flood the jailhouse with miasma. Won't be enough, says Nostius. I mean, I could use the dead deputies for materials, sure, though they look like they've been decaying quite a while. Still, they're probably plenty enough to fill the jailhouse, but fairies are damn hard to pin down. They'll turn to wind or water or stone and bugger off to a different house before we can gas the first floor. Grants rubs the peach blonde scruff on his chin, then looks to Domnall. You reported that the miasma prevented them from shape shifting, correct? Without waiting for an answer, he returns to the apothecary. We just need more miasma, then. Enough to fumigate the entire market square so that there is nowhere for them to run. Yeah, I guess that could work, but where in hell are we going to get that many bodies? This isn't like Gaston Tower. There had to be at least a hundred people in there where the miasma could concentrate. Out in the square, a strong wind could blow it away as fast as we make it. The constable glances back and forth between the shuttered windows and the stairs, grimaces and inhales deeply as his gashed shoulder will grant. He glances again, mutters something under his breath, then asks, Can you use anything aside from corpses? Nastia shrugs. Maybe dead elves or gremlins, anything with a remnant of a human soul. What if the soul is still intact, like in a living person? The journeyman follows Grant's eyes to the stairs and the windows. I don't see why not. Might even make a bunch more. Before they can say it, I put two and two together. They want to use the fey-cursed patience in their transmutation. I expect an idea like that from nostius but from Grant it's like cold water thrown in my face. The chill rolls down my spine and into my stomach, an indigestible fact, their lack of humanity. You can't be serious, I say. Grant replies, his voice steadfast as stone. I'm only ever serious. But there are at least thirty people down there, people who expect us to protect the town. We will, thanks to their noble sacrifice as conscripts. The cold roils my stomach, rushes up my gullet in a vomit of rage. We've done some questionable things during the course of our manhunt, but this is one step too far for me. These are human beings, same as us, same as Broken. I think how easily she could be numbered among them, as someone cursed and cast aside, murdered for component parts. This is wrong, I start, but it doesn't seem strong enough. Then I think of Lohan and the words come to me. This is the spirit of destruction. It's the easy evil that leads to tyranny, suffering, woe, and revenge. Nastius rolls his eyes, jaded to any language that's used by the church, but the constable is curious. He questions, is that so? What does the old king decree in regard to our strategy thus far? You're not talking to the old king, you're talking to me. I see, he says, disappointed. Then there is no need for further deliberation. My decision has been made. How? It's not like the old days, Constable. You don't have the authority on your own. Affirmative, he replies. And for a second I think I've got him cornered. But Grant's moral borders have expanded with the townships. However, he evokes the words of Ogier's ghost, I have been ordered by the old king himself, and his commands I am obliged to obey. Therefore, as marshal and constable, I hereby declare that South is now under martial law, until every head of the insurgents is on a pike. Any further complaints or resistance will be considered treason. He unholsters his death wand. All opposed? No one says anything, so I turn to Nastius and Dominal ask, You two are fine with this? The apothecary shrugs. Wasn't a problem when we were killing workers and patrolmen in Glassboro. I don't see what's so different here. I'll get to continue my experiments. That's what's different, blusters the old wizard. It's nothing surprising, their apathetic responses. I don't know why I hoped for something more. Chaka! I call the hob from his bedding in the corner and turn my back. They can take their plan and rot for all I care. I'll have no part in it, and neither will Broken. I say as much on my way toward the stairs. A wand hammer clicks, and I'd like to think he wouldn't dare, but my body knows better. I freeze in the doorway until Nostius reassures Grant that he and Domnall can perform the transmutation themselves, that there's no need to involve me or the girl unless the miasma fails, and we're needed to help kill the Kobold King in the aftermath. It takes all the apothecary's convincing but eventually I hear the soft chink of the trigger's reset as the hammer is lowered. I'm given permission to leave. But Kanti, warns the constable, remember, you are a citizen now and are therefore indictable under charges of treason. As marshal, I command you say nothing of our plan to anyone. If you do, or if someone finds out, I'll see to your execution myself. With Chaka at my side, I march down the stairs without looking back. My first thought is to start straight for the mystics' guild hall, to tell Broken and Verva of the horrors I just learned. But at the apothecary's threshold, another thought occurs. I stop and scan the first floor crowd to ensure I haven't been followed. So far as I can tell, the others are still holed up in the laboratory. For how long, I don't know. Nor am I sure if they could hear if I told the novices what they're plotting. Not that it'd do me any good. The apothecaries are sworn to Domnall, and under martial law, they're obliged to obey Grant or be charged with treason. Just like we will. I ask one of the novices for quill and paper, and the location of the doctor so that I can record what he's learned about Crown Cap Elixir. They've placed him on the floor atop a bed of dirty blankets near the door to the basement, as away from everyone as the cramped quarters will allow. As I approach, I can't say I'm glad to see him sprawled out and sleeping peacefully as if he isn't culpable for helping destroy a city, for the deaths of townsfolk, for profiting off my impoverishment. But he's all I've got for an ally if I want to stop the massacre. So I swallow my judgment and sit next the man, shake him till he's awake, and shove into his hands quill and pot and paper and a note with detailed instructions for how to get out of this ordeal alive. Edgar grumbles and reads, bolts upright, and starts his reply. We go back and forth, passing notes for a while. I'm still slow at writing, but we manage to finish before Grant and the others, though I'll be honest, I'm sweating bullets the entire time, especially at the end. We agree that I'll sabotage his bonds and that he'll follow Chaka back to the vault in exchange for helping me and Broken taking on the kobolds on our own. The novices are so busy they don't notice us go. Or if they do, no one stops us to ask where we're taking the prisoner. Nevertheless, I urge Edgar to hurry and trust I'll meet him there shortly, but that there's somewhere else I need to stop first. The doctor nods, clinging to Chaka like a giant furry crutch. Sure thing, my good trog. Shut it, Edgar. I'm not your trog. He chuckles. No, I suppose you're not? Not any more than I'm a doctor, Lord Conti. The chemist laughs, high and harsh then hobbles westward along stride the yipping ghoul. Likewise, I start my march through the salt-warded market, vigilant for howling wind or sudden movement, yet a single thought acts as a constant distraction. What's gone wrong with everyone? It's more an artifact of my frustration than a genuine question. I'm not expecting a revelation, so I'm caught off guard when Ogier answers. The same that had gone wrong with you, fool. And what does that mean? Don't be dense. Figure it out. Not a chance on an empty stomach. After days on the road hauling a hundred pounds of death engine, cold and exhausted, anxious that at any moment the kobolds might attack, scared out of my skull for when Grant discovers Edgar is missing. So Ogier can answer the question himself. Right now, my brain is a brick, and my body feels like a roll of unfried dough. What I wouldn't give for one of Maddox's suppers, I think, and slump against the mystic's front door. It's the outrage leaving me, the disgust depleting, and with it drains the energy necessary even just to stand up straight. My face thuds against the wood and scrapes on the surface pasted over with granules like a slab of sandpaper. It tastes salty as bacon and stings like spitting grease. I guess that's one way to make a ward, I think. Then the door gives way and I stumble forward and into the township Mystic's Guild Hall, or whatever Verva's calling it now. This place has really changed. I don't recognize a single thing within what was once the Hell Gates Inn and Wine Tap, though now that I think about it, I haven't been inside since I found the Eye of Amgene. Funny how the imagination plays on our memories. I swear I can picture where the bar used to be, torn away now, as are the tables and benches, replaced by a makeshift stage at the center of the room. Chairs and stools spread all around it, and around those stand candelabras against the walls and in the corners, throwing flickery light against crimson draperies. The only thing unchanged seems to be the kitchen. No, I take that back. Maddock never baked fresh bread like what's wafting into the common room nor did he ever have a clientele like the robed gaggle of middle-aged women and half-men bowing down and murmuring questions before what remains of the remains of Gerard the Giant Slayer. "'We've been expecting you, Lord Canty,' squeaks the doorman, a boy a bit older than broken, probably a marigold orphan by his look and accent, dark hair and eyes like Gnosteus, but handsome without the pockmarks. He shuts the door behind me and announces, the seer awaits you in the kitchens with mystic Verva and the wizard. Wizard? That can't be right, unless Domnall leaped from a second-story window. He is rather spry for such an old man, but that's pushing it. Must be someone else, I surmise, hungry and curious. I lumber toward the open kitchen entry. Crammed into the tiny cooking space is a stove and an oven, a cupboard and countertop, a water trough, a sink and and somehow three human beings kneading dough and baking bread. As the boy said, both Broken and Verva are wrist-deep in flour. The third person, the one he called the wizard, is just an old man with a bushy white beard and eyebrows, and a death wand at his hip. After having one pointed at my head a couple times today, coming across it unexpectedly makes my nerves twitch. It captures my attention though only until I notice the fresh loaf in his hands. My mouth begins to water. I stop outside the kitchen, lean the kingmaker against the wall, then swallow the accruing saliva so I can call out to Broken. I spend the next several minutes speechless, mostly because I'm stuffing bread in my mouth listening to the girl tell me all about this other friend from Glassboro. She calls him the bread wizard and says that he saved her from a gangster when she was all alone. The baker declines to comment except to clarify that he and the girl are acquaintances, not friends, that his name is Thomas, and that he's never seen so many crazies in his life. Between mouthfuls I welcome him to the edge of civilization, then I explain to Broken that just because an old man has a beard, it doesn't make him a wizard. He has to be able to cast spells. She counters with, but Domnall doesn't understand anything about occult magic and people call him a wizard. You're right, I admit, but he is an alchemist, and I'm not sure that the occult and alchemy are really any different. I don't get it. Isn't baking bread the same as a transmutation? Thomas laughs and pats the belly of his apron. I chew on the last of my loaf till I come up with a comparison. It's like how Edgar is a chemist, but he calls himself a doctor. He can pretend he knows what he's doing when people come to him for help, but when he actually tries making medicine... It kills people or turns them into mushroom men. Yeah, but when I try to resurrect people, it turns them into monsters instead. Except Gerard. He just stayed a skeleton. About him, I start to ask why the mystics are worshipping the giant slayer's skull when Verva interjects. She steps out from the cramped kitchen, wipes sweat from her forehead with a rolled sleeve and begs, Please, forgive my intrusion, but you mentioned Dr. Edgar. Has Grant resolved what shall be done with him? and the kobolds as well. The junior mystics let us know that's who's responsible. Hence why we're spreading salt and baking bread, making gift wards against house fairies. Except their bread was shit worse than a loaf of sawdust, the baker scoffs. They came around to our tents, handing the shit out, and I said I ain't feeding that to the horses. First time mouthing off ever got me a job, he slaps his belly again, and a new apron last one got a little messy on account of the brat here he pats broken on her puffy red cap and a flurry of flour fills the tiny room it covers the girl's cloak and cloaks the rest of her clothes she's none too happy about it and makes sure thomas knows that it is in fact really entirely completely all his fault i try my best to ignore their squabbling and to answer verva's questions we start with the plan that grant and nastias schemed up Move on to the enemy's identity. Then finally I confess my actions regarding Edgar. I understand, she says as we reach the end of my explanation. We've seen more than our share of death recently. The mystics are with you, Lord Conti of the Black Flame. How do you think we should best proceed? My cheeks flush at her reverence and Ogier sniggers at my embarrassment, but at the same time I feel something different from him, something akin to joy. What is it? Pride, you stupid troglodyte. Pride? what have I done that's to be proud of? Of course, the tyrant bastard doesn't answer, leaving the question to fester as I reply to Verva. I'm going to work with Edgar to rig something up that'll let me talk the kobolds down. You're going to what? Broken yelps, rushing out from the kitchen as white as a phantom. The doctor is bad, and we're supposed to shoot bad people. Why are you helping him? I'm not helping him. He's helping me, and it's because Grant and Nostius are going to sacrifice a bunch of people to try and kill the kobolds. We should kill the kobolds, she spits with venom. They're bad too, I sigh. Verva was right to worry about the violence Broken was exposed to. You're right, they are bad, the kobolds and Dr. Edgar. They hurt innocent people, and they almost hurt me and you, and Rosalind, so they should be shot. Broken, starts Verva. Please, Listen to Lord Conti. Lord Conti, the girl mocks. Lord of the Black Flame. Lord of Fear. He's so flippity-floppity. We killed tons of stuff before. Hobbs and Maddock and the Trolls and that church guy and the Royals and all those patrolmen and... I cut her off. And we don't want to be like them, do we? I don't know if you overheard, but they're planning to use 30-some fey-cursed citizens for their transmutation. Those are people who are counting on us. People who need our help the most. Broken's voice and posture and whole countenance shadows. Her voice pitches low. Those are people who you promised to burn in a sea of black flame. That was a long time ago. People who hated us, who ran me out of town because I was cursed, because I was broken. Her words hit like a punch to the stomach. The next one's worse than a dagger to the throat. They get what they deserve for being so awful. In a sudden rush of comprehension, I ask her, Is that the way it works? Everyone should always suffer for the wrong things they've done? Yes. Then tell me, what punishment should I receive for my part in teaching Edgar about Crown Cap in the first place, or for trespassing and burglary of the deceased, for grave robbing from the king, for helping to destroy the Glassboro Blast Furnace just so we could catch a criminal and for letting that criminal go? What punishment do I deserve? Broken looks at me, confused and distraught. And frustrated, she blurts out, "'I don't know.' "'That's because no one does,' I say, "'and squat down so that we're eye to eye. "'I pat her on the head, "'and a cloud of flour plumes puffier than her cap. "'Her jaw clenches, crushing any laughter "'as the powder falls on my head. "'No one knows,' I continue, "'but they all think they do. "'Grant, the church, the old king, "'Lohan, this so-called king of the kobolds, "'even me in the beginning,' We believed ourselves wise enough to judge other people and even the world. We called our judgment justice. But that's only because we couldn't stomach what it really was. Because what we really wanted was our revenge. I don't understand, the girl pouts. You're not making any sense. So it's not good to shoot bad people? Do you think I should be shot for all the bad things I've done? She glares at me, puffs up her cheeks, and gives a big huff through her nostrils. Clearly she doesn't like the question, but it's the second time I've asked, and she knows that I know she hasn't really answered. So after another fit of cross-armed huffs and glares, she finally admits, no, I don't think so. Why not? Because, she mutters, because you're like my dad. That catches me off guard no matter how many times I hear it. Now I'm not sure how to respond, so I babble the first question that comes to mind. And what makes me like your dad? I have no idea where I'm going with this. Not until broken answers. Because you work all the time and make me help with the mining and studying. And you tell me it's alright to do dangerous things when you think they're good. And when they're bad you say no. And when they're really bad you stop the hobs and monsters and fairies and bad people. Then we go swimming or get presents or new clothes. Wouldn't it be better if the bad guys did that too? Did what? Tell me it's alright to do dangerous stuff? Thomas and I both burst into laughter, and even Verva and Ogier chuckle. No. I mean, wouldn't it be better if they worked at improving things instead of hurting other people? Ooh, she says. Yeah, but no one wants to do that. I grab the hilt of Ogier's sword and feel the haunting spirit course electric in its scabbard, and that's why we're going to make them. How? Well, it turns out that our store of dried crown caps, originally meant to be crushed into pellets can be made much more potent by boiling in an Alembic. The one I've got in the vault for making Proxelic Spirit is small, making, and not transmuting. Edgar let me know that the incantation I've been muttering over the steam isn't required. So by the dark of winter morning, before even the twilight can rise, we've only produced a few bottles of the weaponized, double-distilled, black-flame-trigger-rigged elixir but a few will have to make do if we're to stop Nostius and Domnol's miasmatic massacre. Of course, that's assuming nothing goes wrong with the plan I've concocted, because if something does, things could get a lot worse, and I'm not the only one to worry. You're sure this will work? Broken asks for the hundredth time as we leave Edgar Chaka and the vault behind, and again as we return to the Mystics Guildhall, and once more, when we depart with Verva, and a couple junior members in tow. I hope so, I answer whenever the question crops up. Now that Verva's with us, she seconds that opinion with undue confidence, probably to keep the junior's spirits lifted as we approach the township jailhouse. We have faith in you, Lord Canty, and shall obey your commands and see to the proper use of the profaned flame. That's the name she's given to Edgar's improvised explosives, Took her all of three seconds once I told her what we think they'll do. Hearing the name presently I mused to myself, focusing my attention away from my nerves. That settles it then. From here on in she'll be in charge of naming conventions. I glance toward the Mystic's Guild Hall and can just make out the old Hellgate's sign being battered by the wind. That'll have to be next. What did she call us in Cynic, the township South Pyromancers? That has a nice ring to it, better than the marigold mystics of South. Broken tugs at my sleeve and pulls me back into reality. But what if they all turn into monsters? You left the kingmaker at home, she says, as if that'd be enough to put down whatever abominations we might raise by accident. Even with all the primitive black flame I've stowed in the caves of Old home, if what we create is as vicious as the monster in Glassboro, We'd be sliced into bite-sized pieces before we could ignite a single satchel. That's what we brought the materials for. And the book. And Gerard! I know you told me already, but we've never gotten this spell to work right. Maybe we haven't, but you most certainly have. So don't forget to add yourself to the list, plus Verva will be helping. And Ogier as well, though I refrain from mentioning him. I can feel the old king's presence. He's been silent since we left the vault. And before that, he only chuckled at Edgar's snide remarks. I'm curious what he thinks of my plans to deal with the fairies. I guess I'm about to find out. We stop a dozen yards from the jailhouse entrance where blue-black blood yet stains the snow. The kobolds' bodies are gone, devoured by Chaka, as must have been Counselor Gus's head. Good riddance for that. It's scary enough as it is in the dark with the deputies' skewered corpses outlined in moonlight. Eighteen of them. Eighteen fragmented souls from which to birth horrors unimaginable. Amgene Antiodromia, please let this work. All right, we're here. Let's get started before King Kobold decides to come out and play. The juniors jump to their command and spread a circle of salt just like the one warding the market stalls. The rest of us unhitch our packs and start measuring out mounds of essential saltas a fancy name Biller used to describe finely ground bone dust harvested from skeletons grave-robbed from the town catacombs. All the while, the wind howls louder and louder and louder. Shop signs and tavern banners whip and clatter, yet not a grain of salt nor a link of curtain chains budges despite the heightening violence of the surrounding gale, and inside our circle we can't even feel it. The only air seeming to move is the white stuff passing in and out of our lungs as Verva, Broken, and I huddle close together and arrange the little mounds like they're the tips of a six-pointed star. Lord Conti, a mystic Verva, stutters one of the two junior mystics. Should we ready the profaned flame now? Not yet, I say, hardly paying attention, trying to get the angle perfect between each pile of salties. It's only when the second junior starts stammering about and bolting for the guild hall that I look up and notice the earth shifting, the snow sinking in a circle around us. They can't cross the salt, so they're cutting out a chasm. We'll be trapped, for all the good our ward of protection will do, but it's a slow process. About an inch of ground is missing all around, though there's no telling how deep the ring goes. It'll take them several minutes to move enough dirt that we couldn't just jump across. Then it occurs to me a second too slowly that that is precisely what the fairies want. Fast as my thin trog lips can flutter, I order everyone to stay where they are, but my tongue isn't quick enough. Verva and the first junior are already screaming for the second to stop as he leaps over the salt and into the arms of a dozen suddenly materialized fay. They grab him by the robes around his legs and his ankles, send him careening to the ground, pin him face down, and draw out their quietest knives. "'Slaver!' one kobold shrills, and another. "'No more shackles! No more chains!' They rant and rave, working one another into a froth of little-bearded devils, eyes wild and animal. "'Maybe I should just kill them after all,' King Ogier's thought, not mine, though I'm finding it hard to argue against when the captive mystic is pleading for help. "'Stay put!' I shout. "'There's nothing we can do but finish the ritual. Virva!' The woman's heart is too soft to let her pupil die." She's abandoned her post and lit one of three bottles of profaned flame. Fire eats through the cloth wick toward the neck where the miniature satchel charge is wedged. Five seconds, that's how long it takes for the trigger to ignite, then another two for the pressure to swell, and one more to lob the bomb amongst the mob of Fay happily stabbing, like toddlers, wet fists pounding against the junior mystic's body. I don't think I've ever moved so fast in all my life as I grab broken and turn my back to the explosion, to glass shrapnel and rapidly expanding crown cap elixir gas. With my last gasp, I shout out coded memories, pretend you're jumping in the river, and we pinch shut our eyes and mouths and noses, wait it out while the screams become wheezing, till coughs become thuds of bodies fallen to the ground in hallucinogenic comas. Half a minute passes... Thirty long seconds of huddling blind, mute, and utterly vulnerable if that blast happened to break our circle. It was certainly enough to deafen us for a while. All I can hear is the ringing in my ears, and my heart pounding on my lungs like a tax collector. Empty of breath and full of fear, my willpower breaks. I heave involuntarily a mouthful of air. It's safe, thank the spirits, because Broken follows my lead, likely blue in the face underneath her bandages. But it's too early to say we came out unscathed. A third of our circle has been blown away. Our six-pointed star is just a shapeless coating of dust, and everywhere shines moonlit bottle fragments. It seems Verva got the worst of those. Though the shrapnel couldn't penetrate her robe, it left a rash of her face and neck. I only wish I could say the same for the quieted junior, and for the kobolds, but the former was already plenty perforated, and the glass shards pass through the latter's fay flesh as if it were wind. The elixir, on the other hand, has affected them more greatly than I expected. Mystic, I call out to the junior still alive, keeping my eyes on the twelve rebel fairies laid out cold on the snow. Get Verva back inside and hurry on fixing the circle. No reply, just Broken struggling to get free of my grasp so she can render aid herself. I'm not letting that happen. There's no telling when the ringleader might show up, so I rattle Ogier's sword out of its scabbard with just my left hand while holding broken as best I can manage with my right. Pointing the blade toward the break in our ward, I glance over my shoulder. Just as I thought, the young mystic got gassed with the rest of them. Better off than his guildmates, I consider his condition longer than I planned. No glass wounds. Probably breathed less elixir, too. I wonder if that means he'll wake before the others do. Conti, yells broken. Let me go. Verva's in trouble. I know, I start to answer, but we need to be careful. We don't know when. My head stops mid-swivel. Out of the corner of my eye, looming huge over the dead junior and the unconscious Fay is the bone-crowned, self-proclaimed king of the kobolds. My head turns the rest of the way slowly as an elk caught in the hunter's gaze, praying those tiny, reflective, brown bear eyes pass it over. Only they don't. Instead, they stare, glossy and vacant, seeing only what the crown-cap elixir shows them. Good work, Trog. Now finish him before the poison wears off. A thrust to the heart, quickly. No, I say aloud, we're going to finish the ritual. Broken, help me get Verva inside the circle. You see what I mean? You're so flippity-floppity, she complains, but doesn't hesitate to assist lifting the mystic's limp body back behind our line of salt. That's needing attention as well. I set Broken to it while I stand without sword point never straying from the hulking kobold's direction. With no idea how much gas he breathed, he could break free any second. All I can do is listen for signs of life from the comatose junior mystic and the lesser Fae at my feet. So far, so good. Broken's finished repairing the ward. She asks, what about the other Salte's? Leave them. They'll have to do the way they are. But it's just two of us now. What if it goes wrong? I keep the sword point forward despite my burning, tired shoulder, half turned to look her in the eyes and promise, we're going to make things better so that we can have bacon every day. And when summer comes, we'll be free to go swimming in the river, and we'll have enough money that I can pay Grant my stupid taxes and still have enough left over so that you can get new hats or boots or whatever you want. What if I want to get presents for Roslyn or for Verva? That's fine too. You promise? I nod and smile, watching the courage light up her pale blue eyes. I promise. Liar, bellows the kobold king. I spin around expecting the fairy to be on top of me with his monstrous blackened hands, yet he's exactly where he's been standing, entranced. Kill him, you fool, or if you won't I will. No, I don't think so. I deny Ogier power over me, though I can feel him trying, heightening my fear and anger. But I'm done living my life for revenge. There's a better way to end this. Liar! The kobold bellows again. There is no other end. Too long have we labored under your tyrant's thumb, building your country, keeping your homes. And too long have ye refused to pay what we are owed. But now our shackles are broken. We are no longer your servants, no longer your slaves. We shall take back that which was stolen. With blood and bone and fire shall we slay. May every human body tremble. Never again shall we surrender. Never again shall we be subjugated. For we have a whole world to win, and nothing to lose but our chains, he booms, froth flying into his beard, his muscles twitching with silver-blooded rage as the mushrooms taunt him. We have nothing to lose but our—say what? The same? How darest thou, how darest thou compare us to them? They stole this land, the soil, the forests, the rivers, the mountains, the beaches— We are the rightful heirs. They are nothing more than butchers and thieves. We are taking back only that which they stole from us—our lands, our lives, our power. Broken, and I leave the fey king to his raving and draw our mithril weapons as improvised athames. Positioned east and south, we face outward and focus on the giant slayer's skull at the center amidst the saltis. We begin the incantation. She, I, and Ogier, we speak as one. From bedlam the spheres separate, from shadow light from light cometh shadow. One prima materia from infinite immaterial. Come, Ouroboros, dissolve the spheres. And the great spirit answers, not through words, but by the distant crackling of bones, and the soft slough of bodies plucked from partisans. Peering through the eye, I can see them disassembling, vague shapes in the darkness becoming vaguer and swelling with the chaos no longer separated by the outer borders of the soul. Kanti, broken whinges into the blackened blood and bone filled whirlwind, hypoxic with terror, so fast does her heart flutter under her undulating chest. For outside our tiny circle of salt has opened up to the flood of the abyss every monster imaginable and abomination which isn't emerging from the depths of the dead deputy's anguish. They are a menagerie of fears that lurk beneath the surface. The notched prod of anxiety, the rue of regrets of failure, theirs and my own. I close my eyes to the moonlit shadows, arrogant as always to think that I could skip the necessary steps. Brash and impatient an imposter, as if I'm any better than the kobold king, or Grant, or nostius and Domnol. But you need to be, speaks an apparition from within, adorned with the headdress of the clan of the antler. He is the lord of fear calling me to peer deeper beneath the abyssal waters. Can you see it, he asks, but I'm too ashamed to look inside these monsters we're creating. Pathetic trog, if you won't do it, then relinquish control to me commands the old king in a bid for more power over the eye of Amgine. Broken screams for me again, and I wake up to the realization that if I don't take control for myself, either the monsters of chaos will consume the whole town, or I'll lose myself to the will of the tyrant. I have to choose, and I have to do it now. The eye opens, and what I find is not what I expected. It's an inner ring hidden beneath the surface of the spheres. The aspect of self which is immutable through conscious will, the human soul, the very thing in which all our attempts to alter through incantation alone produce nothing but monsters. But now I understand the true purpose of the Alkahest, human transmutation. In a moment of inspiration, I turn inward of our circle and tell Broken to do the same. I throw down a satchel of black flame amidst the salties and the skull. Draw on the wisdom of the king to transmute without an incantation. My tongue free, I cry out, Now, finish the spell. Enantiodromia, reconstitution. Broken shouts as I dissolve the salties and the skull and the inner self of the soul left to Gerard, the murdered junior mystic, and all the dead deputies. Our ward scatters in an explosion of heatless fire. Then the process reverses. It implodes with a black whirlwind and rain of bones as eighteen skeletons reassemble, partisans in hand, headed by the nineteenth, his bones alone cloaked in a shadowy skin, his sockets aglow with the white light of his soul renewed, a reconstituted slayer of giants and kings. Whoa, is all the girl can say, staring dumbfound from the ground. Gerard looks really scary now. Don't make me laugh, I beg her. I can hardly breathe for all the energy I just exhausted, shivering in a cold sweat, hungry and aching, especially my head. Brain lightning migraines bounce from left to right, and that's clinging onto the sword with both hands. I'll be cradling this thing like it's a baby for a while. For now I ask Broken to have her new thralls round up the Fey and take that crown off the big one's head. We're going to need it to pay Van Edwin, let alone grant stupid taxes. I sigh, ready to collapse next to Verva and rest my eyes for just a few days when a terrible braying sounds amongst the fairies. It's what I was afraid of. They're waking up, and that means the elixir's worn off, which means that the king of the kobolds is most definitely free of its influence. Or so I assume until I find him where he's been this entire time, curled into a ball, blistered hands cupping his ears, catatonic and murmuring. Then our eyes meet. "'and for an instant I see the hatred this kobold bears "'for the nature of being, human and fairy alike. "'Broken!' I scream as the King of Kobolds' fey lunges. "'Earth shifts under his feet and throws his body forward. "'So much mass, so much speed, "'he can't reverse the inertia hurling him toward his inevitable defeat. "'The steel heads of half a dozen partisans "'in the hands of dead men he'd killed personally. "'At the girls' command, they're thrust in unison.' embedded deep into the Fae King's body. Good job, deputies. Now hold him still. The rest of you arrest these criminals. I want every last one of them slapped in irons. She pauses, then pretends she's received a response. What do you mean you don't have any manacles? Then how are we supposed to arrest them? Turning to the Black Revenant, she commands, Gerard, go get the chains off the apothecary's guild hall. But the giant slayer just stands there, immobile glowering, pale shafts of obstinate light. Broken isn't having any of that. She comes at him sharp as the dragon lance. What? It's not like the grumpy old wizard needs them anymore. And what else are we going to tie these criminals up with? Nothing, that's right. So get going, you bag of bones, before I shoot you with lightning." Another long pause drags on, the two staring down till finally Gerard gives in to the girl's wants and goes about collecting bonds for our new prisoners and see if you can find Deputy Boone's boots while you're at it. And can't he? I hold up my palm. Hold on. King Kobold and I need to have a talk. But Verva's hurt. You have to get her inside. Have the deputies do it. But I look at her sternly as my sagging eyelids can muster. It's important. Now tell them to pull out their partisans before he dies. It takes some fussing, but eventually Broken complies. The six skeletons draw their broad steel blades from the blackened wounds left self-cauterized on the kobold's chest. Without the support of the partisan shafts, the fairy king collapses to his hands and knees, coughing blue-black blood onto the snow. But never does he drop his head, I notice. The power of the crown must be what's keeping him from death. He can't afford to let it fall. So I set the edge of Ogier's sword beneath it, ready to fling the string of bones off the fae's head at any moment. This is your last chance, kobold king. Tell your sheep that you surrender to township south in the clan of the antler. Made prostrate by pain, he glares up at me hateful. My name is Dermot, human. Do with me as thou wilt, but I shall not supplicate myself to thy kind and to my brethren. He coughs another blood stain on the snow. Keep the revolt alive in your hearts and in your bellies. We shall rise again. We shall take back our... I slap the side of the old kobold's face with the flat of the blade, and he grits his teeth as not to flinch and unseat the crown. I've heard enough of that, my head aches bad as it is. Now do you have any actual last words before I chop off your head, or have you finally come to your senses? Yes, the bastard groans, and for just a moment my hopes jump as high as the moon that things might really go as well as I planned they would. Then he opens his mouth and those very same hopes come crashing down, another stain on the snow. There is this I must say for the sake of my brethren. I was wrong about thee, Conti, he who stole the eye of Amgen. I thought thee part of the greater good, a soldier on the side of justice. Instead thou chose to be another of Ogier's boot heels, another arm of the tyrant. Damn this stupid fairy, why won't he just surrender? How's it better to be dead than to live and fight another day? It's no use, Trog. You'd be better off trying to reason with a woman than the Fae. They are little more than beasts, and cannot be made to see the error of their ways. I ignore the old king and try a different angle. After all that risk and pain, I can't let it have been for nothing. So you're just going to abandon your kin to their fate? You led them into this catastrophe. Aren't you responsible for leading them out of it? word shackles of the slaver no different than the doctrine professed by clerics of the shadowed king i shall not be supplicant to these tools of human power and i shall speak no more so go on strike me down if thou darest if thou darest a threat a test to see if i really have the nerve no it's a challenge to see if i truly believe i'm in the right without a doubt he's convinced he is even after the crown elixir visions "'so much so that he struggles onto one knee, "'eyes locked with mine as he moves to reclaim his feet. "'It's as I told you, he will blame you for my rule, "'and even for the consequences of his own failings. "'Strike him down and make an example for the others, "'or else grant me the power, and I'll see that it's done. "'But we came so far. "'I want to do this differently. "'I don't want to be like the others.' "'You're not,' says the Lord of Fear. "'But that means you can't control others' decisions.' Kanti Broken screams as the Fae King starts to rise before me. There's no more time. I wind back my sword arm and close my eyes, aim for where I can't miss the crown, straight down atop the kobold's head. ''Do it then!'' he roars. My hand locks in place. I didn't want it to end this way, yet I force past my hesitation, swing the sword and feel the tremor as the shock shoots into my wrist. The crown clatters to the ground, as does the fairy's corpse. We saved the town, Rosalind and her mother, Dr. Edgar, the Fekhurst, and the twelve captured kobolds. Then why doesn't it feel like it, I ask myself, but not even the Lord of Fear has an answer for that.